Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, January 13th episode, ooh, Friday 13th. Believe me, I don't believe in that stuff. It's just, it's fun to do it. I mean, shoot. My oldest son was born on Friday the 13th, so obviously I don't believe in that stuff. But anyways, it is the Friday, January 13th episode. That would be episode, I believe, let me check, 135. Episode 135 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Um, I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, I do want to point out something. I I hadn't really thought about it much. I think I may have mentioned it one time um, at most. Um, I'm continuing to number them. My, my episodes consecutively. So anyway, sorry, I had to take a break because of a dog. Um, I'm continuing to number the episodes success successively, even though we've swapped over into a new season. Um, so I would imagine, um, they'll still show, I think it's on Spotify. They'll still show as episode 135, but then they may come up because the way I'm saving them on anchor is as season two, everything since on starting in January 1st, I'm doing season two, but I'm continuing the upping and episode numbers. Um, that may be dumb. <laughs> I've definitely been known to be dumb. So that may be dumb, but that's how I'm doing it. Cause I want to just keep a consecutive count. So anyways, we are, uh, episode 135 and we are going to go ahead, um, in our evening this evening, we're going to continue on in our study and the gospel of John, John four. Um, and actually this is going to be kind of a repeat, not, not a repeat in content necessarily, but I had more I wanted to say about, uh, John four verses seven through 10. So we're going to, um, not really go back over, but continue, continue to parse out those verses. So, but let's go ahead and get going with our morning reading again. Um, this is, um, the link for this, the reading plan we're using is in the show notes. Um, it's the 2023 reading plan. This is a different read the Bible in a year plan. Um, as to what we'll end up doing in 2024, who knows, um, God willing, we'll even make it there. Um, but I did leave the link for the McShane reading plan. I would definitely encourage you to use that in your own, um, private study. Um, it definitely, definitely worthwhile. Shoot. You can actually even go find it. Um, truth for life. Um, if you subscribe to, Getting, I get an email every morning, um, and it's um, usually got a link to Alistair Begg's um, podcast for the day. Um, sometimes I think it has a link to a blog post he's made um, for the day, but it also has links to the McShane reading plan for the day as well. And I think he also includes kind of a modernized version of Spurgeon's morning or evening as well. It's a little bit more modern English. So, you know, if you want to go out to truthforlife.org, um, you can find and subscribe to that. That would help you. Um, but anyways, I would definitely encourage you to continue on using the McShane plan in your personal private re- reading like I am doing. Um, it's definitely worthwhile. Um, and doing that and then doing um, the one we're doing together definitely keeps you in the word. And believe me, we need to be kept in the word. Wow, in this world do we need to be kept in the world. But let's go ahead. All right, sorry, got interrupted by dog again. Um, let's go ahead and let's get started with our with our uh, time this morning uh, with the sixth day morning prayer. It's Friday, so it'd be six day morning prayer. This one's called the Gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness is infinite, thy compassions unfailing, the, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. 
weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. This is for January 13th, and the text is 1 Kings twenty-two forty-eight. Jehoshaphat made ships of, of Tharshish to go to Ophir for gold but they went not for the ships were broken at Ezion Gabir. And I think that word Tharshish is actually different in the NASB and the ESV. Uh, anyways, so Solomon's ships had returned in safety, but Jehoshaphat's vessels never reached the land of gold. Providence prospers one and frustrates the desires of another in the same business and at the same spot. Yet the great ruler is as good and wise at one time as another. May we have grace today in the remembrance of this text to bless the Lord for ships broken at Ezion Gabir, as well as for vessels freighted with temporal blessings. Let us not envy the more successful, nor murmur at our losses as though we were singularly and specially tried, like Jehoshaphat. We may be precious in the Lord's sight, although our schemes end in disappointment. The secret cause of Jehoshaphat's loss is well worthy of notice. For it is the root of very much of the suffering of the Lord's people. It was his alliance with a sinful family, his fellowship with sinners. In Second Chronicles twenty thirty-seven, we are told that the Lord sent a prophet to declare, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works. This was a fatherly chastisement, which appears to have been blessed to him. For in the verse which succeeds our morning's text, we find him refusing to allow his servants to sail in the same vessels with those of the wicked king. Would to God that Jehoshaphat's experience might be a warning to the rest of the Lord's people to avoid being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. A life of misery is usually the lot of those who are united in marriage or in any other way of their own choosing with the men of the world. Oh, for such love to Jesus, that like him we may be holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. For it, for it to be not so with us, we may expect to hear it often said, The Lord hath broken thy works. Amen. And well said. And, and no, I'll say it out front before we get to it. No, this does not, that does not contradict when we're talking about that the whole world is our mission field. That's not yoking with them. That's bringing them the gospel. There is a difference. All right, so let's get into our reading for today. Uh, we're going to start with Genesis 28 and 29. So hear the word of the Lord. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and commanded him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become an assembly of peoples. May he also give you the blessings of Abraham, I'm sorry, the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings with God, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take for himself a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had listened to his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan were displeasing in the sight of his father, Isaac. And Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, Mahalath the daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of Nabaioth, to be his wife, besides the wives that he had. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. 
And he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Then he had a dream, and behold, a ladder stood on the earth with its top touching heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. And your seed will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How fearsome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top and he called the name of the place bethel however previously the name of the city had been luz then jacob made a vow saying if god will be with me and will keep me on this journey on which i am going and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and i return to my father's house in peace then yahweh will be my god now this stone which i have set up as a pillar will be god's house and of all that you give me i will surely give a tenth to you all right, Genesis 29, and I need some coffee. Okay. Then Jacob took up his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. For from that well they gave water to the flocks to drink. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. And all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the mouth of the well, and give water to the sheep to drink, and return the stone back to its place on the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Give water to the sheep to drink and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered, and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we give water to the sheep to drink. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now it happened when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and gave water to the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother, to drink. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. So it happened that when Laban heard the report of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, and he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he recounted to Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him one month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they were in his sight, and, and they were in his sight but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it happened in the evening that he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his servant woman Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a servant woman. Now it happened in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. 
Fulfill the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his servant woman Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her servant woman. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. And Yahweh saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and named him Reuben, for she said, Because Yahweh has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because Yahweh has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be joined to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise Yahweh. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. All right, and now Matthew 9, verses 18 through 38, and I need more coffee. All right, this is Jesus here. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a synagogue official came and was bowing down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be saved from this. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has saved you. At once the woman was saved from her hemorrhage. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he was saying, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, coming in, he took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout all the land, all that land. And as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. Now as they were going out, behold, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. All right. And now Psalm 11, for the choir director of David. In Yahweh I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrows, their arrow upon the string, to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Yahweh tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. May he rain snares, I'm sorry, may he rain snares upon the wicked. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For Yahweh is righteous, he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. All right. Now Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, 
Do not reject the discipline of Yahweh or loathe his reproof. For whom Yahweh loves, he reproves, even as a father reproves the son in whom he delights. All right, well, that is our reading for today from our reading plan. Um, I, I hope it benefits you. I hope it equips you um, and just keeps you in the word of God. I've, I've, I know I find that the more time I spend in the word of God daily, um, the closer to God my thoughts are, the closer to the spiritual my thoughts are. Um, and I'm better able to respond to things in a, in a more Christian manner. And I find that the further away I get from it, um, and the less I stay in it, the more I respond in a fleshly manner. Um, so I, I hope this is helpful to you. Um, like I said, we're going to continue on this evening, God willing, um, in our study of John four, we're going to be going back over verses seven through 10, um, to try to pull a little bit more out of there. And, uh, well, let's go ahead and let's wrap up this morning segment. I know y'all got to get on to work just like I do. So let's go ahead and wrap that up. This up with um, a Valley Vision prayer. This one is called the mover, the mover. Let's pray. O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receiving and my deservings. Between the state I am now, I am now in, and my past gracelessness. Between the heaven I am bound for, and the hell I merit. Who made me to differ but thee? For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me, or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. Oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner, such high advancement be for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell, but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the results of my sinning, but in heaven both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing, and may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself. Wean me from sin, mortify me to this world, and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, I would definitely continue to implore you to do all that you do today for the glory of God. And God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, January 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, don't want to run quite as long as I did yesterday. Sorry about that. Uh, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with this evening is humiliation, humiliation. So let's pray. Sovereign Lord, when clouds of darkness, atheism, and unbelief come to me, I see thy purpose of love in withdrawing the spirit that I might prize him more and chastening me for my confidence in past successes that my wound of secret godlessness might be cured. Help me to humble myself before thee by seeing the vanity of honor as a conceit of men's minds as standing between me and thee by seeing that thy will must alone be done as much in denying as in giving spiritual enjoyments by seeing that my heart is nothing but evil, mind, mouth, life, void of thee, by seeing that sin and Satan are allowed power in me, that I might know my sin, be humbled, and gain strength thereby, by seeing that unbelief shuts thee from me, so that I sense not thy majesty, power, mercy, or love, then po possess me, for thou only art good and worthy. Thou dost not play in convincing me of sin, Satan did not play in tempting me to it. I do not play when I sink in deep mire, 
For sin is no game, no toy, no bauble. Let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am a dying condemned wretch, but that in Christ I am reconciled, made alive, and satisfied, that I am feeble and unable to do any good, but that in him I can do all things, that what I now have in Christ is mine in part, but shortly I shall have it perfectly in heaven. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for January 13th. The text is 2 Kings 6, 6. The iron did swim. The axe head seemed hopelessly lost, and as it was borrowed, the honor of the prophetic band was likely to be imperiled, and so the name of their God to be compromised. Contrary to all expectation, the iron was made to mount from the depth of the stream and to swim, for things impossible with man are possible with God. I knew a man in Christ, but a few years ago, who was called to undertake a work far exceeding his strength. It appeared so difficult as to involve absurdity in the bare idea of attempting it. Yet he was called thereto, and his faith rose with the occasion. God honored his faith, unlooked-for aid was sent, and the iron did swim. Another of the Lord's family was in grievous financial straits. He was able to meet all claims, and much more if he could have realized a certain portion of his estate. But he was overtaken with a sudden pressure. He sought for friends in vain, but faith led him to the unfailing helper, and lo, the trouble was averted. His footsteps were enlarged, and the iron did swim. A third had a sorrowful case of depravity to deal with. He had taught, reproved, warned, invited, and interceded, but all in vain. Old Adam was too strong for young Mel Melanchthon. The stubborn spirit would not relent. Then came an agony of prayer, and before long, a blessed answer was sent from heaven. The hard heart was broken. The iron did swim. Beloved reader, what is thy desperate case? What heavy matter hast thou in hand this evening? Bring it hither. The God of the prophets lives, and lives to help his saints. He will not suffer thee to lack any good thing. Believe thou in the Lord of hosts? Approach, I'm sorry, believe thou in the Lord of hosts. Approach him, pleading the name of Jesus, and the iron shall swim. Thou too shalt see the finger of God working marvels for his people. According to thy faith, be it unto thee, and yet again, the iron shall swim. Wonderful, wonderful devotion for this evening. So, like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John 4. Um, of, of the gospel of John and John four. And I say, continue on. And I know that means, Oh, okay. We're moving to the next verses, but we're not, we're going to, when, like when I preached it the first time. And of course the people I, I was preaching about a month apart and they were like, wait, why are we going back over these verses again? There's more to pull out of them. That's why we're doing it. I'm, I'm really not trying to go in circles and beat, beat a dead horse or anything like that, but there there's just more in the verses we're looking at. So, I'm going to go ahead and read you the verses for this, what should be for tonight and tomorrow evening, God willing. Um, like I had said before, verses one through six is kind of the circumstances of this encounter. And what we're looking at today is the contact. What we're continuing to look at today is the contact, which is verses seven through 15. So let me go ahead and get started here. John four verses seven, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, bring, how do you being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come back here to draw. 
So like I said, over the last few evenings, we've been dealing with John chapter four. Um, we've been, and we've been starting our way through this encounter with the Samaritan woman and then the Samaritan village. And we saw Jesus and his disciples heading north from the rural area of Judea into Galilee and taking a direct route through Samaria and coming to the town of Sychar near Jacob's well. Excuse me. And Jesus encounters the woman of Sychar coming to Jacob's well. And the text shows us that she is an outcast among outcasts. We talked about that yesterday and kind of broke that down Um, from a simple one. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Looking at the text around it, we saw that she was an outcast among outcasts and that within that culture, it was unheard of for Jesus to talk to her at all. Yet he did. He asked for a drink out of thirst. I'm sure like we already saw um, and verse six. So Jesus being wearied from his journey. And we talked about that. It, it basically meant he was wore out. They had just knocked down 20 hard miles in six hours. And it's hard miles. Like, I, like I've mentioned the last couple of nights, I've seen it. It's hard miles. Um, so we asked for a drink. But he also asked it, you know, because he was thirsty. But he also asked it to start the conversation that he had set to happen before the foundation of the world. This, this was planned before the foundation of the world. This wasn't a chance thing. So finally, the woman replied incredulously, and Jesus responded to her, indicating that if she knew who he was, she would ask and he would give her living water, which is salvation. So throughout these verses, we saw the example that Christ set as to how we should carry out God's commands to us. We saw that, that he just immediately did what he was told, and he went against all cultural norms to bring the gospel to this woman. And like I said, We saw verses one through six. That's the circumstances. That's kind of the context of this encounter. And we started last evening, started in verse seven through verse 10 of what John MacArthur calls the contact. We started that and that goes on to verse 15. So we're going to continue digging into this contact this morning. Um, And there may be a little bit of repetition, but it is necessary to properly deal with the text overall. So we know the context that this is incurring in big picture. Jesus shouldn't even be talking to this woman, but he explicitly comes here to have this conversation. And also in the grand context of this gospel, we see in the overall passage and in our verses for day that Jesus shows himself to, as the Messiah, the son of God, which is part of the stated pers- purpose of the gospel of John. So it's why John the, God, John the Bap- or John the apostle included it here. And finally, we will see within these verses, as we did last week, Jesus providing that perfect example of how we are to approach the unbeliever. One theologian speaks of this Samaritan woman as being immoral, ignorant, and indifferent. And we're going to look at that today. Immoral, ignorant, and indifferent. And and we're not bringing this up to bash her. Honestly, we ought to see ourselves in her. And we spoke of the immorality last week. To recap, this woman is a serial adulterer. She's been divorced five times and is living with the sixth man that she's not married to. Um, Case in point, verse 18. Um, um, You have correctly said, I'll back up in verse 17. For you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Um, In that society... She would have only been divorced due to, excuse me, due to adultery. So she's been divorced five times because she'd been caught in adultery five times and is now living with a man that is not and that the living with there implies a, an intimate relationship. And as we saw, this seems to be the reason that she comes all the way out to Jacob's well in the heat of the day to draw the daily water needs, which would be huge as opposed to going with and when the other women in the village would go. Again, like we said, she's probably packing 50 pounds worth of water. Um, she's coming to one of the first furthest, if not the furthest wells out, it's half a mile out from the village of Sychar. And she's coming in the heat of the day, which is not the normal time for them to come. So she's an outcast. So we, we see the immorality. We see that immorality. It's driven her to the point that she doesn't want to be around anybody. Anybody else, I guess, other than the man she's living with. 
And we'll come to see in future verses, God willing, that we'll, we'll get to them, like verses 22 is one of the ones, that she's ignorant. Now, don't, don't think I'm implying she's stupid and that negative, con- that, that, that it's implying stupidity and that negative connota- connotation. She's ignorant of the true religion. No matter what the Samaritans claim about worshiping the one true God. You even see Jesus call her out on that in verse 22. Uh, Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. He basically tells her that she has no clue that she is worship. I'm sorry, that she has no clue what she is worshiping and indicates that the Jews have the full Old Testament, which shows them the way to salvation as it points to Christ. And like I pointed out, the, the Samaritans only accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't accept the prophets. They didn't accept anything else. Um, so like I said, they don't recognize any of that. So they're, so, so they're ethnically ignorant of the true worship of God. They don't understand the true worship of God. They don't have the histories. They don't have any of that. But she's also indifferent. She's not looking for the Messiah. While she comments about the Messiah in verse 25, um, where'd it go? Uh, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. Um, so she knows about the Messiah, but she's not looking for him yet. Um, She's not looking for him like Nicodemus was. Nicodemus makes clear that he actually kind of is. But she knows nothing about this man at the well. She's not looking for him or anything that he might give her. She's just coasting through life in her own little bubble. You know, I, 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 again, she's immoral, she's ignorant, and she's indifferent. Does she sound like anyone we know? She sounds like me prior to the Holy Spirit working in my life to bring me to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I'm an, and I'm extremely confident in being able to say she sounds like you too before you were saved. Maybe not in every particular, but she feels way too much like a mirror to me for me to dismiss this woman as someone I cannot relate to. She's you and I. She's you and I outside of the grace of God. Immoral, ignorant, and indifferent. And let's think back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus looking for salvation. As one theologian states, Nicodemus is moral. He's religious. He's an upstanding Jew. He's learned. He's a theologian. He's from the socially elite. He's a prominent leader. He's devout. He is respected by everyone. And it was he who sought out Jesus that he might know the way of salvation, the way into the kingdom. However, think about this. Jesus' first public proclamation of himself as the Messiah is to the Samaritan woman. He may show in ways that he's the Messiah. But his first declaration is to her. Verse 26, John 4, verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's his first public declaration of being the Messiah. And the same theologian that spoke of Nicodemus so um, goes on to say, and I quote, This woman is the opposite, and yet it is to this woman that Jesus first in the Gospel of John declares his own identity. It's an amazing thing, and it is a testimony on the one hand to the apostasy of Israel. It is a stinging rebuke to Israel that this revelation is not made to some prominent religious leader there, but rather to this woman. But it is more than just a stinging rebuke of Israel. It is a declaration on the part of Jesus that he has come to save people from every tongue and tribe and nation. It is a testimony that salvation is for all who believe. Romans 10.13 For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Colossians 3, 9b and b through 11. 
since you put off the old man with its evil practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Salvation is for all believers. And as Jesus said in Matthew 9, 11 through 13, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what it means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call sinners which this Samaritan woman clearly is. But so is Nicodemus, whether he realizes it or not. That's the difference. This woman doesn't really have have any sense of real self-righteousness, while Nicodemus did. And that's where Jesus makes his proclamation. And while this may seem like a large tangent, let's look at the so what question. Why does this matter to you and me? It's because of the example Christ sets for evangelizing the lost in our verses today. And I know I hammered it home last evening, and honestly, it bears hammering home again. This is how we've got to approach the unbelievers in carrying out the Great Commission that I brought up last evening from Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus condescended to bring his first declaration of being the Messiah to this fallen woman, and that's going to be the first, this, this is the first bullet point for our example that we need to get from our scripture today. Unexpected condescension. He condescended. It was totally unexpected, but he condescended to have this conversation. As we saw, he shouldn't have even talked to her, but he asked her for a drink. As noted by J.C. Ryle, This is a gracious act of spiritual aggression on the sinner. A gracious act of spiritual aggression on the sinner. And as we have previously discussed, Jesus was aggressive to the point of ignoring all cultural norms to start this conversation, which, as I indicated, was planned before the foundation of earth, foundation of the earth. He asked her for water. And as I indicated last evening, and I actually even indicated it this this evening, I believe, She wasn't the enemy, no matter what the Jews thought. She was the mission field. And he condescended to proclaim himself to her. The Jews should have been evangelizing the Samaritans once they returned to Palestine. Um, And I spoke of that, the, the difference between them. When they came back and they looked at them and you're such mongrels, they wouldn't let them help build the temple. Well, okay, maybe I understand that because of the purity issues. But instead of evangelizing them, they hated and antagonized them, as I indicated last evening, to the point of destroying, they actually destroyed the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. And as I saw indicated while I was reading, while I was reading, one of the commentators talked about, you had a nation full of Jonas. Instead of evangelizing the Samaritans, they would rather run off in the bowels of a ship to hide instead of bring the word of God to someone they considered an enemy. And, I, and believe me, I've, I've, I've heard of Bible studies where these Bible study leaders talk about how tough it was on Jonah. And I absolutely agree with my wife's response to that. Um, and I'm totally in agreement with it. Jonah threw a temper tantrum. He threw a temper tantrum. He didn't want to carry out God's plan because he would rather be in a snit because they upset him. And we can find it way too easy in our world today to be modern day Jonah's. There is so much ignorance and indifference and immorality around us, as well as an out, outright hatred of us for any number of things. Putting, putting together a list of enemies can almost be unconscious for you and me. And we've got to lay that aside and bring the word of God to all. It's not a request, but a command, as I indicated last week. It's a command. Um, and, uh, you know, um, but we see here the right response. The scripture shows us in verse 10, Jesus providing unasked for mercy. 
As I indicated last week, instead of addressing the Samaritan woman's indicators about the issues between Jews and Samaritans, Jesus offers her mercy. He offers her mercy, the unexpected condescension that I mentioned. Um, Based on the Greek here, Jesus basically says, if you knew the free sacrificial gift of God and who I am who has asked you for a drink, you would ask me for this gift and I would give it to you, the gift of salvation. Jesus doesn't get caught up in the garbage of daily life in Palestine. He dives straight to the core of this woman's need. The conversation is no longer about his thirst, but what should be her thirst for salvation. And there are so many in our society right now that need you and I to bring the gospel to slake their thirst, to bring the gospel so the Holy Spirit, so that they are prepared for the Holy Spirit to move in them. Um, I think it's horrific. I live in an area of seemingly decent people but that is one of the most unchurched areas um, in Arizona, not because there aren't churches here, because but because there are people that just can't be bothered, that just can't be bothered. Not honestly, in a lot of cases, they can't be bothered because we can't be bothered to go out and evangelize. Um, and I would make a guess at, I don't know if it's true, but our, our pastor, our pastor um, came from 10 years working in the prisons. And one of the things he said to me more than once you want people hungry? Go into a prison. These are people without any, without any delusions. They're not, most of them are not running around. I don't know that all. And of course I haven't been in there. I'm taking this from his, you know, his, his information. So I'm saying it secondhand, but you got people with no delusions about the fact that what they have done is evil. What they've done is sinful and they absolutely deserve punishment like the Samaritan woman. I mean, you don't see her try to throw up any kind of, I mean, she has other discussions and brings up other points because she's kind of dancing around what Jesus is talking about as we see, and hopefully we'll see over the next couple of evenings, but she's got no delusions. And don't get me wrong. I'm not going to, I'm not bashing Nicodemus heck of a guy. Obviously, obviously if G, even Jesus calls him the teacher of the Jews, uh, that is a, a, a term of respect, even from Jesus. But he's been raised as a Pharisee. His life, his perception, his worldview is clouded with self-righteousness. As is ours, as was ours. Hopefully it's not now, but as was ours, as, as honestly, uh, honestly, I could probably throw a rock in any of any of 18 different directions around me and hit self-righteous folks. And I'm not saying that to insult them because I was one of them. I was one of them. It's like the beginning of Ephesians two <laughs> that, that, you know, we, we were dead in our sins and trespasses just like them, you know, but, but we've left that. But then it's our call from Matthew 28 verse 19 to go and make disciples of all nations and to teach them as we, it moves on into verse 20. And we've got to go do that. And I know I keep hammering this home. It's because so many of us are not doing it. So many of us sit here. We go We go to church on Sunday. I mean, let's say we're really active. We go to church on Sunday. We we might go to a Bible study once a week. Maybe we go to two of them. Maybe, maybe say, like if you're a man, you go to a men's study and you maybe go to an adult study. Let's say you even do that. But how much evangelizing are you really doing? How much ministry work are you really doing? Um, let's say you go, I, I know, I know of some churches that go down and work at Casa Maria. They, they, they hand out lunches and stuff to the homeless, but you know, my wife and I asked the question, so are you guys sharing the gospel when you're down there? Oh no. Oh no. Well then what's the point? What's the point? You, you can keep feeding them all day. You can keep feeding them, feeding them food all day, but you're not giving them the bread of life. You're not giving them the living water that Jason or that, that Jesus, sorry, Jason, that Jesus speaks of here to the Samaritan woman, but that's what we're called to do. But we don't, we do these little social projects as churches and pat ourselves on the back and talk about how great we are and, and take comfort in that. And you know, I'm doing all these other things. I don't care. 
get out there and evangelize, do it in your own neighborhood. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Um, so many people talk about mission work out across the world. Yep. Had a missionary in our church this last Sunday and made very, very clear. There's mission work to do right here in every town, not, not just in my, where I live, but in every town, in every city in this country, especially in the cities, the more folks get together, the less church they are. And the, and the more they are eat up with being immoral, ignorant, and indifferent. And we've got to bring them the gospel because it is the only hope that is and will ever be available. So you and I want to walk around trying to carry hung around our neck, the little sign that says we're Christian. How about we live that out? And how about we bring them the gospel, bring them the good news and bring them the only hope that there is. All right, let's go ahead and close out with six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. Oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. Well, that is our evening um, segment for this evening. I hope you have a wonderful night's sleep, and God willing, I will see you in the morning. God bless. (music) 